You're listening to Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Yes, indeed. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets with Bloomberg Radio. Carol Masser off today, but I'm here. Here today is San Diego in San Diego for the Commonwealth Financial Network Con- National Conference. Uh, uh, many, many money managers, a couple thousand money managers gathered here in San Diego to talk about the issues about managing money and planning for retirement and all that fun stuff. Brian Price joins us right now, Vice President of Investment Management and Research uh, from Mass. Glad to have you on. Thanks, sir. Many of our listeners are, are there in the Boston area right now listening to us. And uh, um, I, 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 I lo- this discussion of active versus passive uh, doesn't get old to me okay. uh, because you know we all want to be stock pickers. We always want to find that next great, the next great Apple or the next you know Forrest Gump finding Apple, right? I mean, the, right. the stories about p- stock picking so legendary. Let some of the greatest stock pickers in the world, Warren Buffett, out there saying. Go with index funds. Yeah. Don't try to pick stocks like I do. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, they look at our fee-based platform today, and, you know, three years ago, about 5 to 10% of the assets were in index funds or ETFs. I'd say that number has increased rather dramatically in that period of time. I'd say today it's probably around 20%. Um, advisors using ETFs or index funds uh, in fee-based portfolios. And I think there are some very good reasons, right? Uh, tax efficiency being one, you know, index funds, right. ETFs are inherently more tax efficient than mutual funds and cost. I mean, you can buy a large cap blend ETF for, you know, five basis points today, sure. if not less. So I think there are some legitimate reasons why advisors are looking to incorporate ETFs in their client portfolios. And yet it would seem to me that the, uh, the investor who's paying such attention to fees wouldn't stay within a fee-based tent. Right. How, how, do, how are investment managers and money managers or, or uh, investment advisors keeping those people around saying, hey, I got this great thing where you have less fees, now pay me a fee on top of that? Right. Well, they're you know, doing a lot of other services. They're doing financial plans. They're helping them with their retirement, et cetera. So um, they are certainly earning their fee by you know, not just the investment management piece, right? It's more about portfolio management. It's about right. more of a holistic wealth management picture. Now, when we talk about these kinds of vehicles, specifically, what kind of things are we talking about here? I mean, I imagine it's more creative than just a Vanguard S&P 500. Right. So you have a lot of, um, you know, smart beta ETFs that are become popular today. You know, ETFs that are not just market cap weighted. You know, those are the, the initial ETFs that were out there were cap weighted indexes. Right. We started to see a little bit more nuanced strategies come out. Wisdom Tree, Power Shares. Uh, you know, ETFs that are weighting based on revenues or based on earnings, not just buying the market, so to speak. So uh, I think you're starting to see more and more of those types of strategies incorporated in client portfolios. Now, we're here in California, a place with really nice high state taxes. Mm-hmm. We, you're in Massachusetts, some, some good, uh, higher state tax than a lot of other states. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got listeners in New York and New Jersey and, mm-hmm. and uh, even Virginia and, uh, of course, all over the country. But uh, there are tax proposals out there that are talking about eliminating the, the state uh, income tax deduction, which is, I've got to imagine your clients are looking at that and saying, well, wait a minute, what are we going to do about this? Are you getting calls about that yet? Uh, not really, uh, specifically. I mean, a lot of our clients that are, that are tax aware are looking for strategies like incorporating more muni bonds uh, right. in their, their client portfolios, being very mindful of the interest rate environment. Obviously, there's duration considerations whenever you talk about you know, adding muni bonds or you know, taxable fixed income to client portfolios. So what we've seen is advisors looking more at unconstrained type bond funds, funds that can actually assume a negative duration profile if interest rates do rise. Uh, those funds would do well in that type of environment. But um, not, we we're not receiving a ton of calls specifically on you know, the state right. income tax deductions. And, and what about, uh, you, know, you talk about this shift towards uh, more passive investments. As it relates to munis and the ability to be in some sort of muni funds or muni ETFs, uh, uh, you know, there's not a lot of there aren't a lot of those, but there are certainly some uh, muni funds out there that uh, might offer some of those benefits. 
Yeah, I, I would personally would you know view active management in uh, the municipal bond space to be a little bit more favorable. You know, especially if we go into a rising interest rate environment. Um, some of the states you noted before have some some fiscal challenges. Uh, we would prefer to, to see active management uh, utilized in municipal bond portfolios. Right. So, in other words, avoid the the, the garbage. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, this notion of an unconstrained bond fund. Describe to me sort of what. What does what your ideal unconstrained bond fund look like? So a lot of the unconstrained bond funds that are out there, they have the ability to, to assume a negative duration, right? So if interest rates do rise, they will do well in that type of environment. Uh, the problem is a lot of unconstrained bond funds are highly correlated to equities. And why do people allocate to fixed income? It's to have low diversification low correlation to right. equity strategies. That's why you allocate to fixed income in the first so what, place. So what is this unconstrained bond fund, your, again, your, your ideal one, what, yeah. what is it holding? Uh, one that owns, um, you know, investment-grade bonds for the most part, and has the ability to to short treasuries. If I was going to say treasuries, or you're looking at corporates, or or what? Uh, treasuries and corporates and mortgage-backed securities, yeah. as a matter of fact, because a lot of the unconstrained bond funds that we've seen out there are heavily allocated to high yield, right? So if you have an unconstrained to get that return, of course, to get that return, but that also comes with higher correlation relative to equities. So, so, uh, so the answer is you don't want you don't want to see so much high yield in it, but you want to see the. You want a high yield. You right. just don't want high yields yeah. in it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. So, so what, uh, what, what kind of holdings are we looking at then, in, in terms of those funds? So more just yeah, investment grade bonds. Um, you know, treasuries, mortgages, corporate bonds, but you know, a, a above investment grade, not just um, you know high yield across the board. Do you worry about the size of the funds? They've got the you know a fund too big might have to just not have you know the decisions that they make impact the returns much. No, I mean we've seen some of the biggest bond funds out there have some of the better track records. Um, you know, Fidelity is a good example. They're you know a several billion dollar fund right. and they're able to successfully you know navigate markets. Um, you know, with the use of derivatives, it's they're not just holding cash bonds. So you know, obviously utilizing derivatives helps them mitigate uh, a lot of their risk exposure. And size doesn't really matter in, in a lot of those instances. Interesting. Well, let me ask you also about your clients and what they're seeing or what they're saying. What's the biggest change what you've seen in terms of your clients over the course of the last year? Are there who they are or what they think? Is, is that changing? What's the biggest change you've seen? I'd say, you know, the, the question that we most get asked about is, you know, how do we protect portfolios in a rising interest rate environment, which, you know, obviously we think at some point interest rates are going to rise when economic growth and inflation picks up. So your clients are really sensitive to that because the, the move in interest rates has been extraordinarily small. Right. And, and, but there and is yet that they're time. on top of it. Exactly. They're, they're waiting for that period. You know, obviously we've been told for, for many, many years that interest rates are going to rise. We obviously haven't gone through that environment yet, but there's yeah. a heightened sensitivity uh, around rising interest rates and what it could do to their client portfolios, especially those that are at or in retirement that are more heavily allocated to fixed income. They're very worried about rising interest rates and what it could do in their, um, you know, their, their account values. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. Brian Price uh, so, joining us uh, here in San Diego. Uh, he's Vice President of Investment Management and Research based in Waltham, Massachusetts. Glad to have you here at the Commonwealth Financial National Conference in San Diego. We're broadcasting here live all day, but also keeping an eye on the markets and keeping an eye on the close. We're going to get the, what's going on in the close uh, and look at what some stocks are, some stocks that are moving and some stocks are going up and some stocks are going just the other way. We're going to get that all breakdown uh, when Bloomberg Markets continues. This is Bloomberg.